Hi, everybody. This is Richard Beatty, and you're listening to Useful to God. Today, uh, we're on our third week and uh, the second week of Advent, and today we're going to be talking about peace. It's hard to talk about peace with uh, with what's all been going on during the last month or so when you when you see the news and you and you see that there's shootings and then there's sniping uh, going on after uh, the shootings about who has permission to speak about uh, praying for people and all kinds of things that uh, and you know we talked about waiting and uh, you know the knee jerk reactions those aren't those aren't getting to us to to peace talks, are they? I've got Dr. James Spencer with me, and we're going to address the issue of peace in the world today. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, life in a broken world is difficult. I think we can all uh, agree on that. And as we think about peace, here here's where I would sort of frame this out. Um, I'm an Old Testament guy. Uh, I did my, my PhD in Old Testament theology, and so I usually go to the Old Testament for illustrations like this. But whenever I see what's going on in the broken world and the reactions to some of the things that we've seen over the last few weeks, um, I, I think about the Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And the Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, um, he has no other real paradigm other than, hey, this is the way I see things working in the broken world. And so as the Israelites get bigger, this is sort of Exodus 1 and 2, the Israelites are growing in population, they're getting bigger. He doesn't see that as a blessing because he doesn't understand who God is. He doesn't understand who Joseph is. He doesn't understand how Joseph and his presence in Egypt really blessed the Egyptians. And so what he sees is the Israelites growing in number, and he sees it as a threat. And as any king would, he's trying to protect his kingdom. And so what does he do? Well, he tries to curtail their growth. He tries to make sure that they can't harm his kingdom, which he's supposed to be protecting. And along the way, he ends up battling against God and therefore loses. But the point is that often when people don't know God, when they don't know Christ, they have no other mechanisms by which they can think about the brokenness of the world than just to go on the attack. They have to protect themselves because there's no one else who's going to protect them. And so I think a lot of these knee-jerk reactions that we see, a lot of these, the, the lack of peace and conflict that we watch is, as people interact on these various different issues out there in society, they make it feel like chaos. It's because there actually really is chaos because the ordering principle, who is God, is not available. And so people look out at the world and they see threats, they see brokenness, they see opportunities, and they pursue those based on their own wit and wisdom without any restraints or any guidance from God and his word. And as Christians, we fit within that a little different way because we do know God, we do know God's word. And I love what it talks about in uh, Hebrews 12. It says, you know, we should be grateful that we have inherited a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so as Christians, we can look out at this chaotic world and be stirred with emotion about it. Like we should feel something about all the chaos and all the disorder and all the pain that's going on about us. We should be empathetic. We should should really be passionate about it. But we shouldn't be shaken. We can stay the course. We can be faithful because at the end of the day, our kingdom is never shaken. We have a different level of calm and peace that we can access 
simply because we know that the things of this world are going to pass away. And so we can approach these chaotic moments with a calmness and a sobriety and a kindness that other people just can't because they're trying to address a threat. Whereas we are just encountering the world from the standpoint of Christ, knowing that at the end of the day, this is going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And so while things may be proximally important to us, they're not ultimately important to us. Uh, that's a great preamble to the peace talks in the midst of a culture war. Uh, wh- yeah. What do you think about coming to the microphones today as two servant leaders coming together at a table from different perspectives? Not political, where there's little common ground. We'll talk about the issues that are facing us and come up with a treaty that's built on an integrated commitment to being useful to God. Yeah, I mean, I I think these kinds of exercises, these kind of conversations are really crucial for us to do. Because if we can come up with some guiding principles, some, some guiding statements and a clear understanding, it will make it easier for us to be to offer faithful testimony in in a world that where sort of chaos reigns and to be peaceful in a world where chaos reigns is in and of itself a faithful testimony so i'm excited about this well you know there are certain values that we hold as self-evident meaning mm. this is the truth and everybody knows it yeah and I'm, i would say one of these uh, one of the the proposition i'd like to put forward is this To love God and neighbor requires that we use our position in Christ and the blessings we've been given to our, that we not use our position in Christ and the blessings we've been given to our own advantage. In other words, I think that when answers the question, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Those are very Old Testament commands. Uh, One comes from Deuteronomy, one comes from Leviticus. Um, Actually, a lot of people may not know this, but the command to uh, love one's neighbor is actually first stated in Leviticus. And, um, and so part of what it means to love one's neighbor as oneself is to do the things to and with your neighbor that are not to your advantage. In other words, we are to not to be selfish in our ambitions simply for ourselves and doing things so that we gain, but that we are to do those things for our neighbor as well loving them as if they are us. And so that's the proposition. To love God and neighbor requires that we not use our position in Christ and the blessings we've been given to our own advantage. So we we surrender then, and we surrender our own rights uh, and our own, uh, our own ambitions to benefit the common good or the our common neighbor. That's right. I mean, you think through something, you know, just like Paul, right, who surrendered a lot of his apostolic rights, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 9, um, to be all things to all people, that through all means he might save some. And what Paul's really doing there is saying, I could assert all these rights. I I have all the rights that you all have. I have a right to be paid for the the work that I'm doing in ministry. I have all the rights of an apostle, and yet I'm setting them aside because I'm not seeking my own advantage. I am seeking to to build the kingdom of God. And so he has to set those things aside. He has to surrender those rights that are rightfully his. He's not giving something away that 
he just thinks he should have. He's actually giving something away that he really should have. And so surrendering that, setting that aside, is the basis on which he can go now out and try to win those who aren't saved. And I, I think we see very similar things. Philippians is, is sort of built on this premise. You know, and Paul gives different um, examples of people, Epaphroditus, who has served Paul to, you know, to, to help Paul while he's in prison, to, to do these great acts of service to, for Paul. Um, Epaphroditus is set up as sort of a, a model of someone who gives of himself to serve another. And we see that throughout Philippians, of course, sort of the crescendo of that is um, when Christ talks about Jesus coming um, in, you know, being equal with God and then coming in human form. That's the, the sort of climax of all of this. The, the, the supreme paradigm is that Jesus gives that up, equality with God in order to become a servant and humble because he recognizes that to love us requires that he do so. I agree with you on uh, on that point and uh, you know we can we can put that in the certainly in the treaty. <laughs> uh, yes. I, how about this one? What if we agree on the terms to have a waiting period before we react, before we speak, we pray first, before we answer, we pray first in silence. We commit to pray for one another. Yeah. I mean, I think I would go specifically to the book of James on this one, right? Uh, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And oftentimes in today's world, we are conditioned or pushed or even expected to do just the opposite. We're expected to listen more slowly, to speak more loudly and to allow it to get more and more angry. And so I think that's particularly true on social media. Um, it, it becomes easy for us to comment. And so we don't really have to listen. We don't have to really understand the full conversations that we're in. And we certainly don't need to pray. And so there, there is something about that, that passage in the book of James that I think is really crucial for us to grapple with. Because I would argue that one of the things the church has to start cultivating is just the space and the time to have slow, deliberate dialogues that reflect our conviction that discerning what the Holy Spirit is doing actually matters. And We've got to figure out how to create that space and that time as opposed to just allowing uh, everything else to flow into that space, <laughs> you know, and, and steal our time in prayer, to steal our time really contemplating God and his word and really honestly just stealing our time to be slow to listen. You know, that's a good point, and uh, you and I have both talked about this. Um, that is what happens so much in our own personal lives, that uh, that prayer gets to be uh, kind of on the back burner, just mainly because we, we are so busy, and we don't that's right. uh, actually schedule time to pray. Yeah, without that intentionality to do what we're supposed to do, whether it's prayer, whether it's Bible study, whatever discipline it is, we will quickly start living like the rest of the world lives, as if prayer doesn't matter, as if study of Scripture doesn't matter, and really as if God is not active and present among us in the world. And I, I think that's a big indictment against us. We, And so I, I think this point of, you know, really having a waiting period before we react and praying during that waiting period, being silent during that waiting period, 
that is a great way for us to just take a step back, be quick to listen, and try to hear not only other people, but to hear from God as well. Well said. That's, uh, you know, I, I think some of these may sound pretty familiar to you because um, I got most of this from Useful to God, uh, the uh, the book, and uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, you probably recognize that pretty well, huh? I, I saw a couple of them in there that I recognized, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Um, hey, as we've been rolling out uh, these uh, this this Christmas message, the the idea of peace uh, in the second week of Advent, can you take two minutes uh, to, to close this out? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as, as I think about peace, um, here's what I think. Christians have a unique ability to be peaceful in the midst of chaos because we have been saved from the chaos. We've entered into a world where someone conquered death. The The ultimate end of all this chaos and all this disorder, which is, which is the death of our human body, that's been overcome. And so as we approach Christmas, what we see is this first initial step in this story of redemption in, in a lot of ways is Christ coming down. And what we should be looking at there is just to say, look, our peace comes in the form of a baby in a manger. It ultimately ends in the resurrection of a man who was crucified on a cross. That is where we live. We live between a baby and a resurrection. And so as we think about Christmas and we're contemplating peace, what we should recognize is that we have this very otherworldly understanding of what is going on right in front of us. And we need to truly take the time to cultivate eyes that see and ears that hear so that we can be peaceful in the midst of a world that doesn't know how to be at peace. 